The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 283 for Monday, August 30th, 2010. Observers, Mac Geek Up. I am the over-caffeinated, highly overexposed to the sun, Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. How are you doing? <laughs> John F. Braun, just normal. John F. Braun here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Fantastic. And sitting next to me here in Durham, the... Is Pilot Pete. Yeah. But I have never called myself Pete. normal. I don't know. <laughs> Should I or... <laughs> No. I think, I think yeah. it all works. Glad to be here. Yeah. You're going to catch whatever Dave has. Uh, he probably will. Oh, boy. That's right. It's uh, it's contagious and chronic. Uh, so I had, we had a fun weekend up here, John. We had the uh, the Boston Portsmouth Air Show uh, at the uh, at the airfield near us, the the Air Force Base near us, Pease Air Force Base, right? Yeah, which is now Pease International Trade Port. That's right. Yeah. It's Pease, yeah. It's Just the right. New Hampshire Air Guard here. Yep. Yep. And uh, the, the Blue Angels were here. The, the, the fun part was not only we, I, I guess you were there the same day we were, Pete. We, yes. our, our families went down on Saturday. The show was both days this weekend. But starting Thursday afternoon, jets, we're within the five mile ra- radius of, uh, of the airport here or of the, the runway here. So we got all kinds of jet traffic flying over the house. I saw the Blue Angels dog fighting on Thursday afternoon and uh and it just and then today, even this morning, I saw a bunch of jets leaving, kind of heading to wherever their next destination is, going up over the house, which was pretty cool. So fun weekend for sure. But is it time to get right into the show, John? I think so, because I'm not going to talk about the uh, problems I have with my air conditioner or my car. Cause, uh, okay. That's just boring. Okay. <laughs> Suffice uh, to say, water, you know how water should drain out of any air conditioner unit? Well, this, this is not. It's just a pain in the neck. Oh, John, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the water is draining out. It's just not draining out of the car. Correct, <laughs> which, uh, which kind of defeats, uh, <laughs> it, still, it still cools things down, but yeah, it really shouldn't be in the car. Yeah, I just noticed, I'm like, where's this water coming from? And, you it's, know. it's humidity Anyways. displacement, but not exactly in the form that you would have wished. Yeah, so something's clogged somewhere. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. All right. Anyways, uh, let's see if we can figure out Michael's issues here. Michael writes, I have a question about managing my immense iPhoto library. I have over 6,000 photos dating back to 2005 in iPhoto, running the latest version, all up to date on my new MacBook Pro. I would like to somehow manage these photos so that I keep the past one year's worth of photos on my MacBook Pro and prior photos on an external hard drive. Apple users recommend a program called iPhoto Library Manager, but after purchasing this application, I am unsure how to safely proceed without deleting my valuable collection. For instance, in iPhoto, I have not created any albums, so all I see in the iPhoto Library Manager is uh, Library Photos 6,834. How do I take photos from 2005 through 2009 and safely add them to my external hard drive? Once done, is it then safe to delete these photos on my MacBook from within the Library Manager, or must I delete within iPhoto? And finally, if I create an album in iPhoto, are the photos moved to the album from the iPhoto library or are they just aliases? In other words, if I delete an iPhoto album, am I deleting all instances of the photos? Okay. Uh, I I checked with my resident expert here, which, of course, is my wife uh, about iPhoto. 
and uh, and went through some of these answers. So I have I have some ideas, and then uh, I know John, you have uh, you have some thoughts on uh, of your own. Uh, before you do anything, though, please make a backup of your iPhoto library. You don't want to risk losing all your pictures as you go through this management. If you happen to click the wrong button or heaven, for, heaven forbid something goes wrong at exactly the wrong time, uh, you definitely don't want to lose your uh, photos. So number one, I would say that iPhoto library manager, it, it is a third party piece of software, but it's a fantastic tool and will allow you to do a lot of these things in a very automated way. Uh, the first thing I would then do is create a smart album. Since you don't have your photos organized into albums, I would create a smart album of all your old photos done by year. Then use iPhoto library manager to move those uh, from one library to another. You, you would create the smart album inside iPhoto uh, and then quit iPhoto, fire up iPhoto library manager, create another library and tell it to move uh, the pictures in that library over to another one. Uh, I believe that step will actually delete from your initial library, but uh, in general, I've had good luck getting iPhoto library manager to do all its work. And, and to answer your final question, albums are aliases in, in that uh, think of them as playlists of photos. So if you remove a photo from an album, it will not automatically remove it from your library. Although I think you can hold down the option key when removing a photo from an album, just like you can hold down the option key when removing a song from the iPhoto library, uh, from the iTunes library, from a playlist, and it will offer to del delete it from the, uh, from the entire store. So that's, that's that. Uh, but John, you have some other ideas. Yes, I do. So iPhoto is currently my primary tool as well. Okay. What I would say is that, well, it's not fancy, but there is a way to do this with just iPhoto itself. And, and we're going to be uh, telling you about a couple of secret key combos here, the secret handshake. So one secret handshake when you're starting up iPhoto is to hold down the option key. And what happens when you hold down the option key and you start up iPhoto? I'm not going to ask you to ask me that, Dave. Okay. You're going to get a dialogue that gives you a number of choices. And here are the choices. Other library, create new, and choose a library. Well, the first thing I would do would be to create a new library. What does that do? Yes, that creates a whole new library that you can then select with either this dialogue or, you know, either it says other library or should show up if it's in the same vicinity. So that's the first thing you want to do is create a new library. This would be, I guess, on the external drive is, is uh, where we'd like to put it. And then you have two different commands within iPhoto. So, and they're both in the file library. The first is file export. So what you do is you go to file, go to export, you get the standard, uh, actually not a standard file dialog, and that's the thing you want to keep an eye on here. So it'll have a kind, and it'll ask you what kind of photo would you like to export? And it has a number of choices here. There's original, current, JPEG, TIFF, PNG. I'd say original probably makes the most sense. Unless you have a reason to, to convert it to one of the other formats, I just stick with original, and then you just say export. You select the photos or the folders that you want, and it's going to export them to a destination. So that'd be step one. And then step two, Dave, is you go to the file menu. Now you would then choose the new library that you want to import those photos to. And okay. you guessed it. When you go to file, there is a command saying import to library. So 
Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the, the program that was mentioned does this in a nicer way, you know, beyond just the standard, you know, file save and open dialogues. Yep. But, uh, but all the capability you need. And I've even done quick and dirty. If I want to take a photo for my photo and, for example, upload it or do something with it, you can just go to the photo view or I think any view and you just drag them onto the desktop. It's, uh, it's very nice that way. Cool. And as you mentioned, absolutely make a backup. And hey, because it kind of integrates with Time, Time Machine, that's uh, you, you absolutely make sure that your iPhoto is being backed up by Time Machine. So even if you screw everything up, you're going to have a backup. You can, you can go back in time and, and recover anything that you destroyed. So Yep. yep. I, you know, it, it, this is as good a time as any because it's completely unrelated and yet related to say, if you're not already using Time Machine use it no it's not perfect but man is it it is more perfect than anything i have ever experienced on uh, on any computer in terms of its primary goal which is giving people a way to back up that's easy enough that they will actually do it and with time machine it's really as simple as buying an external hard drive plug it into your mac and you're good to go uh, it, it, you know, you've got to configure it, but the configuration is answering the dialogue, which says, yes, use this drive for my time machine backups. And you can get a terabyte drive for well under a hundred dollars now. I mean, you can know, you just, get an external terabyte drive for a hundred bucks? Probably. Well, if, yeah, I've gotten a recently, I got a, uh, yeah, actually it was an external one at Mac mall and it was like 50 bucks after, after two $25 rebates. But even if you had to buy an internal Buy yourself a thirty dollar enclosure, and you're still going to be a hundred bucks, eighty right. bucks to a hundred bucks to get a terabyte up. So there's almost no excuse left for for not packing up. But one other thing, and I, you guys have actually might have touched on this, but I, I might have missed it while I was looking for it. If you go to iPhoto and you go to Preferences, and then you click the Advanced tab, this is part of the question. Okay, yeah, back to the question. Sure. You uh, you click on Copy Items into the Photo Library, and that actually, now you're not doing an alias, that actually pulls the original photo into that library package. Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Cool. So if you have that check, if you don't have a check, make sure you do going forward, and that way you don't have aliases all over the... Right. Uh, anything else to add here, John, before we move on to our friend Larry? Nope. Okay. Uh, then I will move on to our friend Larry. Yeah, I'm seeing, uh, I, I just took a, I will, actually, before we move on to Larry, uh, I'm seeing, yeah, about 150 bucks for a one terabyte drive from Otherworld Computing. I'm sure you can find stuff both cheaper and more expensive, but that's a good kind of down the middle benchmark, right? So... And it doesn't need to be a super duper fast drive. It doesn't, you know, just get your backup on it and enjoy. All right. Moving on to Larry. Larry sent his question in. Hey, Dave and John. This is Larry from East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Regular listener to the show. Love it. Appreciate all the work you guys put into it. Got a little problem. Hope you can help me out with iPhoto here lately. I love iPhoto, but here lately it's been giving me some problems. Where when I have it open? It's work just fi- works just fine, but when I go to close iPhoto, it just freezes up, won't shut off, and uh, I go to the activity monitor, and it just pegs one of my processors at exactly 100%, and it just stays like that. And also, the funny thing is, also, if you look at the real memory used in activity monitor, when I shut it off, it's maybe 150 megs. It'll just keep going up by about 7 megs a second. 
and it'll just keep going up and up and up. And I stopped it at about two and a half gigs. It just, once it uses up all the RAM, it just starts writing the disc. I don't know what it is. Took a trip to the console and there's nothing there. The last, uh, last thing showing in the console had nothing to do with iPhoto was from like four hours before, uh, nothing. I ran, uh, all the system maintenance, I ran Onyx, ran, cleaned out all the caches, ran through the full maintenance there, restarted, uh, same thing. And this has been doing this for a while now. Also, one other strange thing with uh, iPhoto, I don't know if it's related to this or not. Uh, I used to be able to connect my camera to it, it would recognize it, and uh, import all the photos from there. Now it will not recognize my camera. I've been there for a while. I used to stick the SD card into a a card reader and could read it from there. Now it will not even recognize that. I have to just mount it to the desktop uh, with the card reader and then uh, drag it in iPhoto from there. So it's <laughs> progressively getting worse, but I don't know if that's a related problem or not. Um, which is kind of funny since uh, the last iPhoto update uh, had a uh, raw camera support for my camera. So I thought maybe that would fix some of these bugs, but no, not at all. I have a Canon SX1 IS if that matters. Uh, oh, as far as my system, it's a uh, 24-inch iMac, uh, latest OS, latest uh, iPhoto 09. Everything is up to date. So uh, especially since nothing's show, showing up in the uh, console, I have no idea where to go from here. If you guys can uh, give me any help, I'd appreciate it. This is where you cut me off. And so we shall. Uh, all right. John, the first thing that comes to mind on this with regards to his first problem, which is the iPhoto uh, sort of spiraling out of control and eating more and more RAM and not really doing anything is that he might, he might, or most likely has a damaged iPhoto library. We just talked about how you could create another library to check this. Uh, and, and certainly that would be one way of making sure that yes, that's the problem. Uh, John, you mentioned before when you hold down option, when you boot iPhoto, it comes up with a dialogue that lets you create or, uh, or open an altern alternate library. But if you also hold down command, so command <sighs> and option, you get a whole other uh, screen of data or uh, screen of options. And these are all about rebuilding the iPhoto library. In fact, in the current version, there are six options. Uh, you can choose to re rebuild some of the thumbnails, the small thumbnails, all of the thumbnails. Uh, you can recover orphaned photos if the library has gotten so damaged and corrupted that it it has lost track of some photos you can recover those you can fix permissions if you have a backup you can restore from it and then you can use this to unclaim re reclaim uh, unused disk space i would not choose the last option which is the the reclaim unused disk space until you've tried other things to repair it because what might happen is if iphoto believes it has uh it doesn't need a photo like if for, for example if you have an orphaned photo out there uh, if you tell it to reclaim unused disk space before fixing that orphan photo, that photo is now gone because it's going to wipe it away. But uh, but I would definitely rebuild all the thumbnails, uh, perhaps recover orphan photos and definitely examine and repair the iPhoto library permissions. To my knowledge, Onyx does none of this because it's all happening inside of your iPhoto library. And, and I don't believe Onyx touches it. So chances are. Your problem may be a simple fix. It's just not a simple one that Onyx can do. And, and I'm hoping, Larry, that that will that will solve at least problem number one. Do you have any thoughts on this, John? Mm. 
I like that one option at the end, but I'm with you. Because there are cases when that, that's a new one, actually, in the latest version of iPhoto, that recover uh, disk space. Because uh-huh. <laughs> one thing I've seen when people try to clear out their library is uh, one cause of this is people have a whole bunch of stuff in the trash that they forgot to empty. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, <laughs> and that you continues to-, to be visible and takes up space, of, of course, if you delete things. Uh, though I, I see what they're doing. I, I've, I've seen that in a lot of other programs, you know, mail programs and stuff, is that it, it, it'll probably squeak a few more megabytes right. of disk space out. Right. Right. That, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You need to you would need to empty your trash first before reclaiming anything. I don't think this is going to empty the trash for you, but but it will it will reclaim. The, the idea is that iPhoto, it's essentially a database. Right. And so it the, the store where you keep all your pictures and so it saves room. You know, you put a picture in and it saves room for it. When you delete a picture, it simply marks that space as available, but but it still uses it. Until it goes through and does some house cleaning and says, oh, yeah, I don't need that. Now, presumably that house cleaning happens at semi-regular intervals, but you can force it to happen uh, by by using that last option, which which is the reclaim unused disk space. But again, don't do that until you're sure that your library is intact and has everything you want, because you don't want to go deleting things that you might later want to recover. Cool. All right. What about his second question, John, with his S uh, with his uh, SD card and not showing up and all that good stuff? Got any thoughts on that? Huh, I didn't have the. Uh, I don't think I had the written version of this in front of me. There, there, is, no, there is no written version. Oh, good. It's, it's just right. his audio question. Yeah, that explains it. Um, you know, I, I seem to recall. Is it image capture, or if you put in a device that's eligible to be um, contain photos and something that is it image capture or is it an iPhoto somewhere where there's a preference where you can say, okay, when you see a camera, do this or do that. It, I think it's, it may be in both. It's definitely an iPhoto, but it may also be an image capture. It's setting a system wide preference. Just like we talked about with RSS readers last time uh, in, uh, I guess it was show 282, but uh, in, you know, setting that in mail, it's setting a system wide preference for what happens when, you know, when it when it launches this, it might also be in system. Preferences, OK, yep, right? I see it, actually. So in ge- in iPhoto yep. general connecting camera opens and then those there's a pull down menu, which right now is gray because I don't oh no, I see. It says open cameras, open iPhoto, open image capture or open no application. Okay. So I would uh, that's one place to check it again. So, I, so I seem to recall cam- iPhoto. Yep. Preferences. And then the general awesome. preferences. Okay. Yeah, you so, were saying you were saying something else when I interrupted to get the path, but go ahead. Okay. No, no, I'm pretty sure that, that there's something similar, if not identical, in image capture. But you got to uh, yep pop the device in there. Okay. So yeah, I it that would be my guess is is it's that. However, if that's not it, you may want to try formatting your SD card once you've got you know your current batch of images off of it. Use your camera. Don't let your Mac do the reformat, but use your camera and and walk your camera through reformatting that SD card. That that may be all it takes to get it back in sync with life. It it might have had some either some file system corruption or, you know, you might have written a file out to it from your Mac at one point that confused the issue and and got it kind of messed up. So it, it does not hurt to reformat your SD card you know, on a semi-regular basis, maybe, you know, a couple times, a couple, three times a year, whatever it is. I, I know some photographers do it every single time and that's how they wipe pictures off of it. I'm not sure I 
believe it's quite that necessary. Um, but but there, but there are people that do it because they don't want any risk of corruption. Heaven forbid they lose even one batch of pictures. You know, these professional guys that want to make sure they aren't losing, you know, work that they've created. So, you know, eh, hey, if it works for you. Any other thoughts, John? Yeah, I'm just looking at image capture and they do suggest that some cameras may not because as far as I know what it's doing, it's just looking at the USB you know, the vendor and the device type. And based on that, you should be able to tell if something is a camera or, you know, card reader and, and react appropriately. But they do mention that some cameras, you may need extra software like a driver in order for Mac OS X to recognize it as, as a camera or scanner or image device. So, okay. Yeah, cool. Pete, you said you had yeah, a... Uh, yeah, one other thing I'd, I'd mention about iPhoto, and it's just a general strategy that I found myself doing, because if, if you go and look at those package files, they can get pretty large and unwieldy if you put any amount of photos in them at all um i i tend to set a cut off at about seven or eight gig but i started naming my libraries by year so i go two or three years at a time mm. so i have actually i have 2000 through 2007 for some reason i was able to cram seven years in there but 07 and 08 uh and 09 and 010 are actually separate libraries and i'm up to 12 gigs already for 09 and and 2010 it, by doing that it makes it easier to move one package off onto my backup drive my drobo drive that sort of thing without having occasionally i've actually had them come up and say no i can't read part of the data or whatever and then i do i'd go in and I'd do that rebuild and that sort of thing but i do a lot of library management like that i have several iphoto libraries and i just base them on by the number of years so that when i do in fact uh, hit that start hitting that upper limit it causes me less headaches now is this this upper limit is it something you read it, somewhere it, it's it's my own no it's, your it's own. my okay. own yeah about six i figure six or eight gigs and and, and Obviously, I don't ever want to lose any photos, but if if I lose a two-year window in the middle of something, that's going to be easier to deal with than losing everything for my kids before age 10 or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and you, know, when it, you know how it is. Database gets corrupted and the whole thing starts going on you. Um, you don't want to lose all your kids' photos for something like that. So break it up into years. And You know, I, I got to do that, Pete, because I've noticed the thing is, yeah, so I, I have iPhoto. I think I have photos going back to 2003. And you know, it's getting a little pokey because I notice every year that they say, hey, iPhoto's faster. Now it can deal with 1,000 photos and 5,000 and 10,000. Yeah, I got sure. way too much. Because yeah. I try to do some of the effects and, and they're, they're a little, yeah, not very zippy. So I think I got to break it out into, like you suggest, one or two year uh, I do, yeah, I'm the same or way. libraries. Thousands of photos and it's just, it does. It makes it so much easier to deal with. And if something goes wrong, you're not dealing with trying to recover seven years worth of stuff. So, That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, Lisa's been keeping, she started before, uh, you know, we had a lot of extra external hard drives or whatever. So she was just archiving off to DVD, but she would do three DVDs for each, for every DVD she made, she would make three. Sure. And that way she has three backups of every backup uh, because you know, they're going to go bad. It's just how it is. So uh, in, in that last question, Larry mentioned as his, iPhoto memory usage was creeping up that it would creep up to however much RAM he had, and then it would start writing out to disk. And Paul has a, a semi-related question uh, in terms of that. And Paul writes, I happen to be running a few virtual machines, parallels, VMware, Microsoft office, mail, Safari, address book, and iChat. I tend to restart most of it regularly, but I don't restart my computer all that often. The, the VMs tend to stay on regularly. How far into swap should I allow it to go? And when Paul asks this question, what he's asking is how much 
disk space should I allow my computer to use as memory replacement before I accept that I don't have enough RAM? Uh, what will happen when your computer runs out of RAM, as, as Larry mentioned in the question before and as Paul alludes to here, is as soon as it hits the RAM limit, it does whatever housekeeping and, and, uh, and remapping and remanagement it can do. But at some point, it's got to start going somewhere else. And so it just starts saving stuff out to disk. That, of course, is much, much slower than reading from the RAM chips inside your computer. And we've talked about this in various capacities before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. In terms of when to know you've got too little RAM, my opinion is, is certainly in his case, he's showing that he's got, uh, you know, six gigs of swap being used. And uh, and it, it's, it's clearly, to me, that's clearly too much. Uh, it's not dangerous, but it's likely slowing him down. Uh, my rule of thumb is that if I see total swap space above two gigs, I've pushed beyond what's reasonable for whatever my current amount of RAM is. Now, some people will say that ah, it doesn't matter. That's fine. Some people will say any amount of swap usage indicates that you've gone too far. So uh, you may or may not be able to put more RAM in your computer. Of course, there's an expense involved. Really, what you need to do is balance the cost of upgrading with the speed that you'll gain. And it is significant. You know, you can you can tell when you're in swap and the system just churning out to the hard drive. Uh, so you just you just got to balance that uh, for your own for your own use. So, John, I, I know you you've you've actually upgraded RAM recently in one of your machines just because of this. Right. Well, just because I wanted more and just because I could. So the machine that you and I have, Dave, which is known as the early 2008 MacBook Pro. Mm hmm comes or adver, uh, apple claims it can get a maximum of four but as we know through our friends at owc we can actually get six so i got six but but i want to address some of the points you brought up dave so so one you're, you're saying when you see the disc going you know that may be uh, uh, going to a, a swap file well the way you can tell dave and i i believe uh, any of the major utilities will show this is that you're going to see a, a a figure called page outs right and that starts off at zero now, if you look with whatever utility, whether it be iStat Menus, which shows it, um, I think the screen that we see here is from uh, menus. menu meters, which shows quite a bit more detail, at least in this view. Now, if you see it, and when you pull down this menu, you'll see it in real time, but if you see page outs increasing as you're watching them, then whatever disk churning is happening is actually going to a swap file. And I would think a good... The, the more you see this number increasing, the, the more you're using virtual memory. And I think the, the more a sign that you either should quit something or get yourself more RAM or both. Uh, but now what I saw here now, this is definitely too much, Dave, because I think you told me now I didn't used to see this, Dave. But now so he has 15 swap files. OK, that's too much. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that number of swap files. And even though the amount of memory is not you know shocking, six gigs. 15 swap files. And what I've seen, Dave, is well, to, to just to interject here. Six gigs will always be 15 swap files, right? It starts out, I believe, with a 64 meg swap file. Then the next one is 128 megabytes. Then oh. the next one's 256, then 512. Then you start getting into it might stay 512. So, yeah, the number of swap files will always increase at the same. Oh, yeah. oh, I, did, I didn't know there's correlation between the amount of swap and the number of swap files. Yes. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh. System in old Unixes, you you used to have essentially one swap file. In fact, it was an entire partition that you would dedicate mm -hmm. to swap. With Mac OS X, of course, when it came out, 
people didn't have partition drives from OS nine. And so Apple had to come up with a way of getting that swap space for OS 10 in a dynamic way. And, and what'll happen is it will, it'll start with one, even if you're not using it, it'll start with one. And I believe that one starts at 64 megs. Uh, but then it, mm-hmm. it then it, if, as soon as you use that and it needs more, the next one I think is 128 megs and the next one is twice that size. And then I think the largest they get is up to one gig maximum. So, you, you know, oh. you got to build yourself up to that. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So, but in my opinion here, this is too much. Yes. And that I have never had 15 swap files or six gigs. I, right. Yeah. I, I look at the other numbers. So uh, I would say the, the yeah, the amount of RAM in this machine is insufficient. So either uh, try to think if if you need everything loaded that is being loaded, because it sounded like yeah, I mean we were talking you know a couple of VMs and Office and or you may want to you know quit and reload some things sometimes. I don't know, like Safari. I, and that's one of the reasons I like. That. And again, you mentioned there are multiple utilities that can kind of help guide you here. Uh, this is one of the things I like about the new iStat menus, is that not only Will the men the memory widget tell you how much swap you've got you know committed and how much you're you've got available? Uh, but it also will give you a quick glance at the five programs that are using the most memory. So if you see that, like you said, John, Safari is a perfect example because it can bloat out of control even without you realizing what it's done. And if you see Safari is using, you know, 400 megabytes, 500 megabytes, just quit it and relaunch it. It'll probably use half that or maybe even less than half that. So. And I'm going to test that. Well, I think you're, you're going to talk about something else, because right now my Safari on my one machine is taking up 486 megabytes of RAM. So I'm going to quit and come back and see what it is when I when I restarted. Me- memory leak Safari is uh, it's got to have some kind of memory leak. And it's not just a WebKit issue because WebKit's available in everything. Mail, you know, basically, you know, any Cocoa app, I think, or most Cocoa apps wind up using WebKit in one way or another. Uh, but you're right, John. I was going to talk about something else. And that something else is our first sponsor for the show, which is Audio Engine USA. Uh, we love our, our music here, uh, especially in my house where, you know, I'm a music freak. My uh, my family, therefore, is music freaks because they have to live with me. And we're really picky about the way things sound. This, what I want to talk about here is in the studio what I have, which is the Audio Engine A5s. These are their flagship product. This was the first thing that they ever made, and they still make them and still sell a ton of them. These are what I would call bookshelf speakers. They're probably about 10 inches tall, maybe eight inches deep each. It's two separate enclosures. Each enclosure has two speakers in it. One is a a woofer for your low end sound and the other is a tweeter for your high end sound. On the top of this, there is an input jack that you can plug your iPod into. There's also a USB port that you can use to charge uh, your iPod while it's playing music into these. Uh, They do have their own amplifier, so The left one has the amplifier. You plug the left one into the wall to get power. You plug, you run a cable between that and the right one. And uh, the amplifiers in the left one power both. It's also got an AC outlet on the back. So you could hang an airport express off of it or really power any other uh, small device that you want to uh, power that's near the speakers. And it's also got input jacks on the back so you can mix and match all the cables you'll ever need come in the box with these speakers. So 
you know, the mini eight cable that you need to get from your iPod to this, it's there. If you want a little extension to make that run a little longer, it's there. All the stuff's in the box. This is AudioEngineUSA.com. The A5s are uh, $349 for white or black. Uh, but here's the cool thing. Number one, they're so ha- so convinced that you're going to be happy with these that they will refund your money, all of it, within 30 days if you return these speakers because you don't like them. So they call it a uh, 30-day audition. Uh, and you just call them up, say, hey, look, I tried them. Don't like them. I'm sending them back. They'll say, okay, no problem. Once we get them back, we'll send you your money back. Uh, but even better than that is you can get 10% off using our coupon code MGG10TEN. That's MGGTEN. That gets 10% off. So that saves you 35 bucks off the price of the Audio Engine A5s. This is all available at AudioEngineUSA.com. John, before we move on to Scott, what was the uh, the verdict? Safari was it what four hundred and eighty megs? What's it at now? The verdict is Safari is a pig. I am now <laughs> at one hundred and nine. So I just got back uh, about three hundred. And you have all, megabytes. all the same web pages open, or you haven't opened well, no. Windows yet? Okay, <clears throat> okay. No, I, I had a couple other tabs open, but uh, well, maybe, maybe what was in those other tabs was taking up a couple of hundred megabytes each. Though I can't imagine no. they weren't very. <laughs> no, it, it yeah, it was bloating and not freeing up the memory yeah yeah uh, you know, so there's some, sometimes you can get safari to release memory by by going to the safari menu and choosing empty cache uh that mm. that will help sometimes but even better is just quit and relaunch in fact oftentimes it's faster to quit and relaunch but you do lose your open windows you can get them back though you, you want to give them the tip for getting all your open windows back when you launch when you relaunch safari john do you know it huh go to the history menu and choose reopen all windows from last session. That will wow. reopen all the windows and all their tabs from your last uh, from your last session from the last time you had Safari running. So handy stuff. Get out. Wasn't I know there a little plugin that you could do though that automatically. We talked that? about it in the last show. Saft. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah and Glims maybe it was a different one. Yeah. Maybe Glims did that too. Glimps, that's what it was. Okay. I just used Glims. Glims. Yep. Because I did actually. I I tried Saft and I did find uh, I. I thought it was a new. It, yeah, I thought I thought it was something it had added, but it was save a tab set, right? And then it put it somewhere in your bookmarks folder, and you could load it in as a tab set, right? So uh, because that that was one of the requests from yeah. Well, you and, and as we talked about in the last show, you can now do that even without Saft, right? Safari lets sure. you save a tab to, tab set all all on its own. All right, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about another strange bit of technology included in Mac OS X, and that's Spotlight. Scott has a question. Uh, I'm having a problem for some time now. I've been trying to figure out why spotlight won't find messages based on a few keywords within the message body of an email. So for example, say I had an email from a friend and they had put the words dinner at 8 PM in the message body. Even though I have mail messages selected as a spotlight preference, it still won't find or report any results of mail based on my search criteria, even though I know it's in one of my emails. I'm running 1064 and I'm using Apple Mail for my email client. I thought the problem might be related to IMAP accounts at first, but I've tried it with pop accounts too, and it won't search these either. How do I get Spotlight to find an email based on message content? Okay, well, it should do this. And to test this, what did I do? Well, I went into Spotlight and I searched for a message with dinner at 8 p.m. in it. Sure enough, Scott's message came up. So we know that Spotlight, uh, at least in some way uh, should report this. 
what to me it sounds like is that the spotlight index is not working. The first thing I would suggest is what Scott already said, which is going into system preferences, go to spotlight and do two things. Actually, uh, first, make sure mail messages is checked in the search results tab. That will ensure that it will show you that, uh, that you know, those messages in its results. Number two is in the privacy tab. Make sure that your mail folder or the drive that your mail folder lives on is not omitted from there. Uh, assuming that those uh, two things are as they should be, then I think your spotlight index is, is foobar uh, for, for lack of a more technical term. Uh, so you need to rebuild it. There's a terminal command. You can do it. Uh, it's called MDUtel, but I'm not even going to bother with that because Onyx will rebuild this for you. So you go into Onyx, tell it to rebuild your spotlight uh, database, if you will. And then it'll rebuild it. And that'll take some time because it's got to scour your whole drive or multiple drives if you've got it set that way. But uh, but that should solve the problem. Uh, do you have anything? Any thoughts? Now, is that doing the same thing when because there's another way, uh, another rebuild that I see is in the mailbox menu in mail. There's a rebuild. But, but okay. I that's per mail. Does this other one is envelope index oh. separate from that? Envelope index is separate from this and, and good catch. Yeah. I would recommend rebuilding the mail envelope index too. There's a, again, another way to do it from the command line, but I'm 99.9% certain that Onyx will let you do it there as well. So yeah, definitely rebuild both the mail envelope index and the spotlight index. Good call. And the other thing I noticed, Dave, is that there is a search within mail, but I, I gather that's its own little world. I, and actually, I'm looking, trying to figure, uh, from what I can see, that only applies to the current mailbox. So I suppose you could highlight multiple mailboxes and then use the mail search. Uh, you can use, you can click all mailboxes in the search criteria. You can either do the, the current mailbox or all mailboxes and uh, and it'll search everything. And that's how I search mail. I, I just wind up doing it that way uh, because I'm I'm used to it. But uh, I believe that uses the envelope index. Uh but it may it may also rely on the spotlight index. It'd be kind of crazy if it didn't, to be honest, because why bother? Right. I mean, it's it's all Apple's tech. They should they should, you know, use each other. What do you mean search all? How, how do you search all from within okay. mail? So in mail, I go up to the search box and I look for a message that says dinner at 8 p.m. And then kind of between the top bar, which is where you have your delete reply buttons and the search widget. uh and uh, there we messages. go. You have. Yeah, you've got you can choose what whether you want to, to search the entire message, just who it's from, just who it's to, just the subject. And then you've also got all mailboxes or the mailbox that you're in. So you can you can narrow your search down that way. Uh huh. So, yeah, it doesn't show up until you start typing, though. <laughs> right. That's so I was right. like, where's the all option? That's OK. Right. That's yep. a, that's a little. Um, yep. Not intuitive, but but another way to. Yeah see yeah. if the data is in there yeah 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 it, that's right yeah you have to start your search and then set your options right <laughs> yeah i guess that is not intuitive i i always thought it was very intuitive because it doesn't show me the options until it knows that i need them but sure yeah yeah you know but it it, it it until you've done that once you have no idea that you have the option right so it's sort of a chicken and the egg and all mm -hmm. those other things how are we doing on time? Thirty. Careful with those eggs. Minutes. I know you got to be careful with the eggs. All right, let's do uh, let's do Paul's question quick here. I think, uh, mm -hmm. I think this one's a good one. Hi, Paul from Melbourne in Australia. Um, love the show. Listen to it all the time on the podcast. 
thought I'd uh, drop in an, an issue with my Mac and um, I've not been able to fix it and I don't know how to and I've not actually seen this on a Mac before. Whenever I open or go to save something on my Mac in the devices list the name of my Mac has changed. Where it would normally be G5 Mac Pro I now have in brackets next to it a number 3. A couple of weeks ago this started but the number was number 2 not number 3. So whatever's happening the alias seems to be increasing and I'm getting a lot of really weird things happening on my Mac. Fontbook for example is auto enabling and disabling fonts at startup and not keeping them. If you could have a look into this and come back to me I'd be really curious to see what sort of answer you can provide. Thanks. You bet, Paul. No, uh, no problem. We're happy to happy to oblige. So, John, I, I think I think we've both th- seen this from time to time where you'll get the name of your computer and suddenly it has added uh, it, another name in parentheses. You can go into system yeah. preferences and sharing and you can see this. And in fact, you'll you'll see it there with its new name. Uh, when I've seen this happen, there, there have been a couple of criteria that have always been consistent. One is that there are other devices on the network. And two is that at least one of those devices is an Apple router, either a time capsule, a time, uh, an airport express, uh, an air, you know, some sort of airport extreme, some sort of Apple base station with, uh, you know, relatively new. And I think what's happening is starting in snow leopard. We had the ability to, connect to machines that are asleep and and really what what happens is your machine let's say it it has file sharing turned on and itunes sharing and screen sharing turned on just for example so it advertises those three services via bonjour right when your computer goes to sleep of course it no longer is advertising those services and other computers can't connect to it however starting with snow leopard and a firmware update that happened to most of these newer apple base stations uh what happens is the computer at just before it goes to sleep reaches out to the base station and it doesn't have to be your master base station of the network. It just needs to exist on the network. And it says, Hey, I'm going to sleep, but uh, here's these three services that I was advertising. Can you advertise them for me? And then when somebody tries to connect, uh, just let me know to wake up and I'll wake up and, uh, and, and do my thing. And so it does that. And then it goes to sleep. However, if you, if your machine's IP address changes and there's a machine, uh, the airport base station is out there advertising this service with your machine's name with a specific IP address. And then somehow your machine comes back online with a different IP address. The base station says, oh, no, 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 no. There's already a device with that name and it ain't you. So you got to come up with a different name. And when your computer's told to come up with a different name, it's not all that creative. It doesn't change it to like George or, you know, uh, something like that. It just adds a number and it says, oh, that's unique enough for me. I'm a computer. I don't care about aesthetics. So uh, so that's what's happening here. The solution then, if we if we presume that that's how we got here, uh, the, the solution then is to. Number one, make sure that there is no other computer with that name on the network for real. And assuming that's the case, just go into system preferences, change the name in sharing. You might have to uncheck the lock to uh, to to have it allow you to do that. Change the name 
And in theory, that should that should fix things uh, that that that's fixed it in my experience. John, you, you've been through something similar. Yeah. Well, I haven't. I, I, I can't explain it. No, it happened with my desktop machine. So so what you said is correct. There's a Apple m- machine, yep. which is my Power Mac G5. Uh, Apple, you know, I have it plugged in via gigabit Ethernet into the time capsule. And one day I noticed this is that, yeah, it was called JB Power Mac G5 Paren 2. And first off, I was getting very frustrated. I'm glad you told. Uh, well, eventually I found it, but I went into the devices panel in the finder and I tried to change it back and it wouldn't let me. You know, I was used to highlighting the machine, hit and return. That didn't work. The one weird thing that kind of concerned me, but it didn't seem to be a problem, was that it also changed the name of the folder in the Time Machine backup for this machine. Oh, and it also wow. renamed that JB Power Mac G5 Paren 2. Yep. It's like, uh, that, that was my first concern when I saw this. I'm like, oh, is this going to confuse Time Machine? Is it going to see a different name machine? Apparently, it fixed itself, which is good. Is that because I looked at that folder and went back, and as soon as I changed the machine back, it changed the machine of the, the Time Machine folder back. But I can't explain why it did this, Dave. Yeah, well, I, I I pretty much start up and shut down this machine, and there's never another one. Right. Well, I suppose I slept it. Well, but you've got the time I capsule. I sleep it something. And, yeah, and and you must have some service advertised on it, be it remote access or you know something. Oh well, yes, I do, and I guess it held on to that for uh, yeah. for too long. Yeah. yeah, I do screen sharing and file sharing on there this locally go. within yeah. the household. Yeah, so. right, right. And that 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 will cause it. So the 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 if you see this happening regularly, uh, the the solution is do either a manual IP address on your computer so that it's always getting the same address. That keeps this confusion from well, happening. And and this machine I do have as a static IP. Okay. Well, wait, hold on. Let me let me double check. I used to. Maybe I don't anymore. Yep. Yeah. And if you don't have it, even better than a static IP though is to use uh, what they call DHCP reservations. Because then the cool thing is you can leave your computer in a mode where it's always just going to ask the router for an IP address. But if you're on your home network, the router is always going to give you the same one. Yeah. If you're on a remote network, it's going to give you, uh, you know, uh, whatever one it can. And I learned the reason I feel that that's so much better is uh, related to all the power outages here. You know, I run a FileMaker server and it's headless now. I was away once when the power went out here and my dad came over to the house and he said, oh, yeah, you know, everything's fine at the house. But, you know, of course, your power's off. And so that meant nobody could connect to the FileMaker server. He had power and Internet at his house. And if I had had I had the computer set to a static IP address, which meant I had to if I was going to set this up on someone else's network, i.e. his, I would have had to have him plug a monitor in, plug a keyboard in, plug a mouse in, walk through reconfiguring the IP address setup. And even if I was here doing that, that's not necessary. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's not the simplest thing. So what I did was I did this DHCP reservation thing. And then the next time there was a power outage, uh, I had my computer, but it was in DHCP mode. And I brought it over to Pilot Pete's house. I plugged it in and it just worked because it knew just give me an address. It, leave it up to the router, what address I get. And uh, so nice. Yeah. yeah. As it turns out, this. I used to have it static. Now it is DHCP. I think I'm going to do what you suggest, Dave. Yeah. Because my printer is locked to a certain IP address. Yep. So, yeah, when I print from somewhere, I know that it's going to go to that printer because the, the address never changes. I don't know why I changed it on my desktop, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So I think, yeah, you got to get the MAC address, either the MAC address or 
uh, client ID. I, I think you can do either one of those. Apple will let you do either one in the airport base station utility. Yep. Well, once we're done, I'm I'm going to do it because I, I I can't deal with the trauma of having the and, machine change you know, its name like that. I used to be of the opinion that I would do the MAC address uh, for the DHCP reservation because that way it wasn't something that would change and nobody was going to muck with it and it was just going to work. However, when my MacBook Pro went to Apple Care and back and, of course, got a new motherboard in the process, its MAC address changed because that is married to the Ethernet port that's on the motherboard. And so I didn't get my DHCP reservations Oops. and I didn't realize it until this weekend. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, how come I can't? I was in the command line. I wanted to connect to my machine. I'm like, how come I can't see it? Like, oh, it doesn't have its IP. So I had to then go back through. So if, but if I had had it to use the DHCP client ID, I'd have been in good shape. And yes, I realize we've lost many of you in this process. So I'm going to do my very best to give a very quick uh, description of what we're talking about here. The concept is this. Start the clock running, John. The concept is this. You want your router, whatever it is, but we'll assume it's Apple for the purposes of this. You want your router to be the master of your network, including setting the IP addresses for all of your computers. However, you have some computers or devices that you want to always have on the same IP address. And there's lots of reasons that you might want this. If that's the case, you set the computer to get its IP address from the router. Then you go to the router in the airport base station utility and you go into, I believe it's Internet and I think it's advanced. I don't have it up in front of me. John, maybe you can pull it up. Uh, yep. And, yep. OK. And it's DHCP reservations. And in there you put either the MAC address of the computer, which is listed in its own network system preference pane or the DHCP client ID, which is something you can set in the system preference pane. You put that and then the IP address you want that computer to get every time that computer asks that router for an IP address, it will assign it the same one. So uh, I think that I think that explained it very, very quickly. Yes, John. Uh, and here it is. Actually, it's not in advance. OK, so that's a, that was a good guess. Thanks. A, at least on my utility, it's in Internet. Yes. So you, you run that's the what I said, though in Internet. Right. And then what? Okay, I thought you said advanced. Uh, Once you're on internet, then there's a DHCP tab. Oh, okay. And in the DHCP tab, towards the bottom, it says DHCP reservations. And if you click on the plus sign in that list, it will say description, which is something meaningful. And then it says reserve address by MAC address or DHCP client ID. Cool. Uh, let's talk about Dennis here. And, you know, in the interest of time, I'm going to paraphrase his uh, his tale of woe. Uh, and Dennis's tale of woe goes something like this. He had an issue with his time capsule. He diagnosed it on his own. Couldn't get it to appear on the network at all. Couldn't get it to come up no matter what he did, including factory resets, all of that called AppleCare, walked through many of the same things and perhaps perhaps another step or two with them. Same result won't appear. Turns on. It's not a power supply issue. Ethernet port says it's talking. No dice. Went in and had a genius bar appointment. All the same troubleshooting, perhaps even more. Same result. No dice. So they decided, yep, we'll replace it for you. They ordered a new one for him and it's on its way. His concern He's now he cannot access this. Uh, he is now taking this device. He's Apple says that he has to swap it out when they give him the new one. He has to give him the old, mm -hmm. one, of course. 
however, he's handing them a device that contains a hard drive that has backups of all of his computers at home in a mostly insecure way. And so he's concerned mm-hmm. about what to do and how to erase this time capsule hard drive. And John, I'm, I'm going to let you talk about the, the how. What I'm going to say is, and, and I know this is going to sound funny, but I don't worry about this, especially not with Apple. Uh, it, they are they are crazy about destroying hard drives on uh, when when they when they get them in either in Apple Care facilities or in mm-hmm. stores. For everything I've heard, says they need to do this. And and to be honest, you know they're a publicly traded company. The last thing they need is for someone to come out and say, "Hey, I you know I gave a hard drive to Apple support, or or even worse, Apple support replaced my hard drive, uh, and then my data wound up on the internet somewhere, and it's got to be their fault." I mean, they they just can't afford that risk. So so my feeling is, don't sweat it, man. But of course, I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV or even on a podcast. But uh, but John, you you have some some thoughts on this. Nor do you have top secret data on your. Uh... Correct. Anyways, so as far as you know, as, as far as I know, Dave, uh, oh, that you have secret data. That's as far as you know. <laughs> well, if you did, you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't tell me. That's right. Or you'd have to kill me. Uh, anyways. I would say you want to get over to probably I fix it. So the thing is, I know of no way. So, so the first thing I would do, and it sounds like this, this has been done already, is I would absolutely try to connect to this using a wired network and not the wireless network. When I've had problems with some of these wireless devices, especially if they have a drive in them, uh, the wireless isn't always the best way to get to it. Though it sounds like that has been done already. But try a variety of ports. But if it doesn't show up, if you don't even see the device, which it sounds like, again, this is the case in the airport utility, then... Your only other option, uh, I'm pretty sure iFixit has a, a sheet you, you may be looking for, Dave. But a lot of these earlier units, you um, you have to get a putty knife, I believe, is the device. And basically pry that baby open to get to the drive. And then you would want to get, I mean, they have the, either you, you can probably find an appropriate port in another device that you have kicking around somewhere. I, I, I would think that's a SATA drive, Dave. So find another SATA machine and and do that, use that, and use this utility to wipe it out. Yep. I mean, a quick and dirty though. I, I don't think these are perfect, Dave. But you know those big old degaussers. Oh yeah. I mean, it'll it'll probably scramble the drive enough. I, I know some people use that for a quick and dirty erase, but uh, for people that don't, uh, I think these are, are devices that ge- they're basically a big old magnet electromagnet and it's used to to erase things like videotapes was a classic example it's a big old magnet you put it over the videotape and it just it disrupts the magnetic charge on the tape so much that it, you basically get static and all your data is gone now, some people say I, I don't have any scientific evidence but i would say you know it, it would it would certainly get rid of something yeah but you have no way of checking that either right no that's the problem so so i would say yeah pulling the drive out of there Again, on the older time capsules, I think the, the, the most recent one now, Dave, or no, I'm sorry, that's the, the mini, yep. finally. The, wouldn't it be nice if that extended to the time capsule where they actually made it easy to get at the drive? Yes. But right now, it's, it's not a user, it's not a thing where they will give you instructions on how to do this. You're going to have to go to someone, again, like iFixit. Uh, I, I believe they sell a kit, or you could probably get the parts at your local craft store or something like that. But I think the key part of it is a putty knife because you've got to wedge it in somewhere and pry that thing open so you can get to the drive. Once you see the drive... Then you should be able to plug it into any other machine that has, uh, again, I'm going to assume, uh, uh, you know, a SATA port. 
and and use this utility to do whatever type of security wipe you're you're comfortable with. Yeah, I I did look it up on iFixit. It's not easy. They're they're talking about using a heat gun to melt the adhesive that you got to peel off before you can even get to the screws that you need to do. Here's what I would say: Go if it, assuming you care more than I do about Apple's ability to be sure that your data is not left insecure. Uh, I would go in. I wouldn't mess with it at home because you're gonna you're good. It's going to be obvious that you've been in there. And you, if you've got a warranty repair in progress, you do not want to jeopardize their willingness to give you a new time capsule. So I would go in time capsule intact and tell them, look, I have a problem. I don't want to give you the data that's on here without being sure huh. we've erased it. So we can either tear it apart together or you can, you know, do it while I watch. Right. You know, basically it's going to be done before I leave the store. How would you like to handle this? And uh, and they may do my guess is they're going to do one or two things. Number one, they're going to go through the process of opening it up with you and and reformatting the drive or doing whatever, you know, reasonable procedure it would take to convince you. Yes, the data is essentially gone. It's never really gone. Or number two, they're going to mark that they took it into uh, into inventory and that it will be destroyed. And then they will hand you both units back and say, take your old time capsule and do with it what you wish. It's yours. It's dead to us now. That that would be my guess. I don't have any experience with this, but I know if hmm. I was on the other side of the counter, uh, if I had the capacity and had the authority to authorize giving it back to the customer, I would happily do that. Uh, so that okay. would be my thought. Yeah. All right. And we have our moles out there who. Uh, yeah. It, it depends on how how much they grok the concern of right. the customer here. It's a pretty it's a pretty straightforward concern, I think. So. Yeah, but whether they're willing to do something about it or, or they could say, well, sir, you know, our corporate policy says that we destroy all drives, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't know if they'd necessarily. F I, I mean, this is a piece of equipment that's going to get swapped out. So unless you take a sledgehammer to it, I, I I don't know if they'd be too, too concerned. Well, you voided your warrant and presumably it's a dead motherboard inside inside Dennis's right. drive. Right. Or inside Dennis's time capsule. If, if there's op if there's obvious tampering going right. on. Right. They might say, hey, dude. You, uh, you know, <laughs> so uh, well, seeing as it's I, already. Uh, all right. Well, it's already um, been approved. You're right. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, no, I, I see what you're saying. If there's obvious post. Yeah. I mean, again, the thing's busted. They're going to throw it in the trash anyway. So exactly. exactly. Uh, right. I mean, did it did it appear to you that the the process would, you know, scar? Uh, I mean, definitely, definitely. Yeah. It, you, All right. You, you, I, I thought it was a bit more straightforward that you just had to pry something open and then, you know, the, the top pops off and the drive is there. But uh, now you've got, right. you've got to peel the like I said, you've got to peel the, the pad off the bottom of the thing, which involves yeah, yeah heat gun. I mean, I, unless you get really lucky and can put it back on there, but that's going to take a lot of work. So. Yeah, I don't I, I don't I think it's a, I think it's really a too bad. And, you know, it'd be really nice if they had like a secret utility or, or key press. Of course, there's no keys on it that would bring it up as a target disk mode. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, with a dead motherboard, it wouldn't matter. Right. Right. I mean, it, okay. you know, yeah. On yep. to Michael. My, so uh, in show 281, we talked about Larry and his MacBook Pro that wouldn't sleep. And Michael Johnston, while he was converting this to AAC, this is Michael Johnston of we have communicators. Uh, thank you, Michael. Great podcast, too, by the way. Formerly the iPhone Alley podcast. Highly recommend it. Great stuff. Uh, he heard this, of course, and had a thought. 
Hey guys, it's Michael from We Have Communicators. Uh, calling in to follow up on Larry's comment on his 17-inch uh, MacBook Pro with the i7 processor not going to sleep because he sees, uh, or, or at least thinking that it might have something to do with the Ethernet uh, turning on and off or, or causing some kind of problem. I noticed the same thing. I have a 17-inch i7 MacBook Pro, and uh, I have something called uh, peripheral vision, which uh, John actually turned me on to a while back. And that kind of does the, the thing that Windows does where it'll let you know uh, when you plug something into your computer or if you mount a drive or something like that. So every so often I, I saw a little indicator on my peripheral vision saying that uh, the Ethernet cable had been unplugged. I think it said EN0, which uh, I believe is the Ethernet port. And uh, it just did that every once in a while, and I, I couldn't figure it out. I thought maybe it, it's a, a hardware issue or a software problem or a peripheral vision problem even. So I, I just disabled my Ethernet port, my Ethernet adapter, uh, in the uh, network settings. Instead of just deleting it like Larry did, I just uh, disabled. And uh, for the most part, that doesn't happen now. Although I think when I start the computer or at least wake it from sleep, I see a uh, little indicator saying that, EN0 has been unplugged. Uh, I thought it was just my computer until I uh, went over to Ed Kirk's house. He, uh, you know, Ed Kirk of iPhone Alley fame. Uh, he has a, an i7 MacBook Pro 17 inch as well. And um, I said, you know, let me install peripheral vision and check it out. And sure enough, he has the same problem on his computer. So we may have a, uh, a, uh, a 17 inch MacBook Pro problem that uh, that we've kind of uncovered here so it'd be interesting to see if your listeners uh, anybody else who has the same kind of computer the i7 17 inch macbook pro if uh, anybody else is seeing that issue so uh yeah that's all i have to say guys thanks bye thanks michael that's that's disturbing actually and i mm. I, I am curious if anybody out there has the i7 macbook pro are you seeing this and if you don't know if you're seeing this Maybe install peripheral vision and see if it tell if it does what Michael's discussing here. That's probably the easiest way to tell if this issue is uh, is affecting you. If there is some larger scale issue, it'd be good to know. And uh, and we can obviously, you know, turn it over to Apple and hopefully they'll they'll do something about it. So cool. I'm not sure if peripheral vision is still current. OK. Because I'm on my, my newest machine, I'm actually using it on the G5. I, I I wonder if it was a Snow Leopard issue. But the other thing I'd recommend, of course, and you know, I turned you into a fan, Dave, is something called a Hardware Growler, which yep. is part of the Growl package. And this is does the same thing. I, I would say maybe a little more than peripheral vision. But the key thing here is that yeah, it'll show you if interfaces go up and down and up and down, uh, where otherwise you you wouldn't know that that's happening unless you like staring at the console. Right. 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 Yeah, it's a, you're right. Yeah, peripheral vision, it is a universal binary. In theory, it will work, but it is uh, no longer under development from granted software. So, uh, so yeah, but I think it either way, I don't know. I don't know if Hardware Growler will it tell you about Ethernet ports coming up and down, John? It and any any piece of hardware, pretty much. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, well yeah. no, it absolutely does. When when I when I wake my machine up from sleep, it will show it establishing. First the network connection, then the Wi-Fi connection. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, cool. Yeah, so either so, yeah. one of those would be the way to check it. Mm -hmm. 
All right, Pete, you have uh, you had a, a, a slightly interesting Apple Care experience. So you're going to uh, you're going to tell us about. I that. did, yeah. I, of course, I uh, broke my wife's twenty one and a half inch iMac. Of course, uh, <gasps> she she assumed I did it because it it mysteriously stopped charging her iPod and her iPhone. And uh, sure uh, enough, I tried both uh, the USB outlets. Nothing, not an ounce of power coming out of either one. Checked the cables, of course. Cables were good on. Uh, other, uh, for instance, my laptop. No, this is a strange one. So when I happened to be talking to uh, AppleCare for another item, I just ran it by this gal. And she said, oh, sounds like a uh, master power controller. So what you need to do is unplug the machine for one minute. To turn it off first. <laughs> power yeah, back, put idea. it down. Don't, don't just unplug it. Don't just yank the power. So uh, t- turn it off, uh, pull the power, wait for one minute, plug it back in, and that will reset the system master controller, the power controller. And sure enough, they both fired right up and was uh, underway charging uh, charging the devices again via USB. So for some reason, uh, if your 21.5-inch iMac, maybe your 27-inch iMac uh, sure. stops charging through USB, uh, that that's a simple fix. Unplug it and replug it. Man, I didn't want to ship this thing either. <laughs> wow. Very interesting. Did you did, Do you recall if you looked in System Profiler and did you see the USB ports? Uh, I did. And, uh, oh. uh, yes. Uh, oh, you saw them. It, uh, you, you could see them. It would transfer data. It would not charge. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hence the SMC, which, yeah, has yeah. to do with power-related things. Wow. Right. On the other hand, Pete, that, that's an expensive charger. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it works great. I can do handy. two things at once. <laughs> it's right there in the kitchen. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Now, you know what I like? Well, mini plug for, for the uh, audio. The, the A5s have a charging port, which, which right. I, I like when I run out of ports. All right. uh, If you have a question, comment, tip, or anything you want to share with us, we want to let you know how you can send that in. Really, the best way is to email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. You know, brother, I thought I heard you say feedback at macgeekgab.com. That's right. Feedback at macgeekgab.com. You can send in, of course, your text questions you can send in screenshots you can send in videos you can send in audio files a lot of the audio files you've heard here today were recorded on people's iphones and then sent right in so uh so that's that's uh, feedback at macgeekup.com of course if you are a premium subscriber which is just 25 bucks for six months uh you get an extra two episodes a month then you can email to premium at macgeekup.com as well if you cannot email for whatever reason, if you're just not in the mood to email, but you are in the mood to gab, give us a call. 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... 4335, Dave. And you know what you can use? The, uh, I just tried this. Have you tried the uh, the Google phone thingamajiggy? No, I have not tried that yet. I've, I've been sort of... Crazy. Here's a tip. Yeah. Well, well, from Gmail now, you can, you can dial a call. Right. And No, I, I didn't call 206-666-GEEK, which is... Four three three five, <laughs> but I didn't call my cell phone. Put a one before the area code if you're in the U.S. Okay, and yeah, and I had to turn the mic on in my MacBook. It was set to line in for yeah. some reason. But yeah, it, uh, it, it call free in the U.S. So if uh, you had to pay to make that call, then there's no excuse anymore. Got it. Very use cool. Google and and do it on their dime or however much it costs to. Right. What are they doing with that data? I don't know. <laughs> They're record. They're, they're. I mean, they they got to be monitoring the calls for whatever reason. I don't know, Dave. Anyways, back to how to get in touch with us. Uh, That's right, uh, and then you can you can Skype us directly to MacGeekGab if you like. 
of course, we uh, send our thanks again to Michael Johnston for converting this to AAC and adding all the chapters for you to skip around and find what you need in the show. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the podcast from us to you. Blog World Expo is uh, mid-October, October 14th through 16th out in Las Vegas. You can still take advantage of our 20% off coupon code, which is Observer VIP, uh, O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R-V-I-P. The podcast marketplace includes, of course, the A5 speakers from Audio Engine, Barebones from Yo from Barebones from Yojimbo Software. No, Barebones and Yojimbo. Sorry, BB Edit and Yojimbo from Barebones Software. Text Expander and Disc Label from Smile on My Mac. Notebook from Circus. Wait, Police. wait, wait. Who was that, Dave? Ah, you're right. Thank you. Text Expander from Smile because they've changed their name. Thank or is it now Smile Software? Smile Software? Yeah, I think it's just Smile, but I could have that. I might I have that right. wrong. I think you're right, Dave. I think it's just Smile. Yeah. Excellent. That's what I heard. And, uh, yeah, it is Smile. And Notebook from Circus Ponies and 5% Extra. Oh, see? We went just a hair too long. 5% Extra from Gazelle using the coupon code MACGEEK all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We're bringing it out. Um, you're going on vacation, John, so we're not going to be back for about a week and a half, if memory serves. Yep, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to be in Orlando. I'm going to be talking to the mouse. You're, you're heading down to the Reedy Creek Improvement District, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not going to be there the whole time, but. Well, you know, have fun and uh, watch that security. I think you're going to get the full mm-hmm. body scan on the way down. So, oh yeah, don't get caught. <laughs> Yeah. Made up.